0: There are so many ways you can support H.U.G. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to the second Medical Monday for Heart Month, February 2023. Today, my husband, Frank Jaworski, is in the studio with me. And we're going to talk about something we both found fascinating when I interviewed Heart Warrior author Richard Schwent. In that episode, Richard told me that he was kept alive during an operation thanks to monkey lungs. Any of my loyal listeners who heard that interview were probably just as surprised as I was. You were too, weren't you, honey?
1: I certainly was. I know a little bit about the history of heart surgery. I had never heard of monkey lungs being used before. I thought it was a misspeaking
0: yeah, me too. So that's why I made him repeat it. <laughs> of course, being the CHD geeks we are, we had to look it up. And I found a fascinating article entitled Dr. Mustard's Macabre Monkey Machine by Gary Grist and Kelly Headland in the December 30th. 2021 edition of Perfusion Theory. And Frank and I figured we would just talk about what we learned in this Medical Monday episode. So first of all, Frank, you're a nurse. And like me, you're a bit of a CHD geek. What did you think when I told you Richard said he was kept alive with monkey lungs?
1: Well, Anna, as a nurse anesthetist, I've worked many heart surgeries and I've seen them use the bypass machines. And I've never even heard of any kind of organic components like that. I thought that perhaps when his mother was told that by the surgeon, it was a misunderstanding. Maybe he had said they use monkey lungs for research, not for the actual therapy. So I was quite surprised.
0: Yeah, I could get it too if it was in research because we know it wasn't uncommon, especially in the 50s, for them to do research on pigs or dogs or monkeys. But I made him repeat it, and he did, and we found this article. So here's what we learned, friends. Dr. Mustard and two of his colleagues developed a heart-lung machine that used isolated rhesus monkey lungs as the oxygenator. He chose rhesus monkeys because the monkeys were used in renal studies, and he could remove the lungs after the monkeys were euthanized. What do you think about that, Frank?
1: I have a little bit of exposure to the animal lab people at my hospital. I have done things like pediatric advanced life support where we intubate ferrets. They keep them alive for that purpose. They're well treated. They're well taken care of. But the idea that you would use these parts after the animals were euthanized, it makes sense for efficiency, but I just can't imagine bringing a box full of monkey lungs up to the OR.
0: I can't either. I really can't. I didn't know that you had worked on ferrets.
1: Yeah, that was a long time ago when I was in the emergency department. I took the Pediatric Advanced Life Support course, and one of the things you learn is how to intubate children, including small children. You can't really practice on infants, not really. You can practice on mannequins, but it isn't the same as a living thing. And as it turns out, ferrets' airways are exactly the same size and shape as a newborn human's airways.
0: So cool. And didn't we go to a conference once where you got to practice on a goat?
1: I absolutely did, and that's an example of an animal lab, also where the animal was euthanized. That was an airway class that I went to. And one of the special features was you could go to the hospital locally in Dallas and do a goat lab. And in the goat lab, you did everything from normal intubation to what's called retrograde wire intubation to tracheostomies. And afterwards, the animal was safely and humanely euthanized.
0: Okay. This article goes on to say that the lungs had to be used within five hours And Dr. Mustard claimed that they worked for two to four hours. So, Frank, you just talked to us about working in the cath lab. How do you think cath doctors would like working with equipment that was only viable for two to four hours?
1: I can see that being a time compression issue. A lot of times we do work under, you might call it production pressure to get things done quickly. And there's also the fact we do work with transplants. And transplants, of course, are always under a time constraint. They're only viable for so long. I can't imagine bringing these in, knowing it's not a transplanted item. Like you said, it's actually a piece of equipment, biological equipment. Right. That would be very right. unusual.
0: Yeah. The article stated that by using the monkey lung oxygenators, the first seven patients died, and that it was most likely because he only attempted this technique on the sickest patients. But in 1957, Dr. Muster reported that of the 21 patients using the monkey lung oxygenators, three survived. Only three survived. And after this, Dr. Mustard switched to research on mechanical heart-lung machines. But how miraculous is it, Frank, that one of those three survivors was a guest on my program?
1: That is pretty amazing. But I totally understand the stats because it's very typical for any new medical technique, any new surgical technique, any new device or system you would use Is usually only done in those who are the most desperate patients. And this is not fair for the quality of research because it means that if you're going to do a transplant or a new device, what you're taking is the people who have the least chance of surviving in the first place. So it skews your results. Unfortunately, that's the way it is because usually the other doctors won't allow you to do the procedure unless the patient has no other choice.
0: Yeah. Frank and I discovered some fun facts about Dr. Mustard. We used this article that I referenced, and I will put that in the show notes, friends. For any of you who want to read it, it's freely available on the internet. But here are some of the fun facts. Frank and I'll take turns sharing some fun facts with you. Dr. William Thornton Mustard was the youngest physician and surgeon in Canada in 1937 at the age of 22.
1: I recall reading that too. Apparently he was brilliant. He was very young, advanced for his age. I also noted that he served in the Royal Canadian Army during World War II, as many surgeons of his generation did. And he was commissioned as a first lieutenant, then rose to the rank of major, which I think is a huge missed opportunity because if he'd been promoted one more time, he would have been Colonel Mustard, like <laughs> Colonel Mustard with the lead pipe in the library.
0: Yeah, same would have. <laughs> okay, on a more serious note, Dr. Mustard pioneered vascular, orthopedic, and cardiac surgery.
1: Yes, and you probably heard his name before if you're in the CHD community because the Mustard procedure, which is used for transposition of the great vessels, great arteries. But there's also a different Mustard procedure he devised for orthopedics, which was designed to treat patients who had polio and it allowed them to walk with less of a limp or no limp at all. So he was a pioneer in many areas. Medical school, according to this article, he was an athlete and an actor. He wasn't just a hard study. He liked to have fun too.
0: Yeah. In fact, he was such a showman that he would start food fights at parties or he would jump into a fountain wearing a tuxedo.
1: I like that. It also said that later on when he was a teacher at the medical school, he would sometimes lecture his students while standing on his head, which I'm certain got their attention.
0: I even read that sometimes he would swallow live goldfish at parties just to entertain people? I can't even imagine doing that.
1: Anything for fun. I think that was more of a thing back then anyway. He wasn't the only one doing it. And I see that you left me with the last one because I don't think you would read this one out loud. There was a colleague because he was such a renowned surgeon that one of his colleagues said jokingly that he was so good he could sew two farts together. That's a good line and it's what I'm going to have to use at work at one point
0: friends, I hoped you enjoyed learning about monkey lungs as much as Frank and I enjoyed researching them. I thought this was a fascinating peek into just a tiny corner of congenital heart defect history.
1: Excellent. Thank you for letting me share this with you, Anna. It's been a lot of fun and educational.
0: It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me, Frank, and thank you for joining me, friends. This is the second Medical Monday episode. Tomorrow, we'll have our regular Heart to Heart with Anna episode. Don't forget, every day this month, we are featuring a different program to help raise awareness of congenital heart conditions. But let me tell you something new that just started. Buzzsprout, who is one of our hosts, is now enabling subscriptions. So if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to give a little love our way, All you have to do is go to Heart with Anna on Buzzsprout and click the subscription button and you can be one of our subscribers. If you are a patron or a subscriber, you will be invited later to take part in some by Invitation only recordings. And we're going to have a number of really fun episodes to do. So why don't you throw a little love our way and go ahead and become a subscriber. That's it for this episode. Medical Monday in Heart Month, February 2023. Have a great day. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.